0: Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matter. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for new focus on wealth, Chad Burton.
1: Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email. It's Chad at ChadBurton.com. Or just go to ChadBurton.com. You can connect that way. Um... So let's, let's talk about a little bit what's going on in the market so far. So at the end of 2023, we saw a big rally in both stocks and bonds on the idea that the Fed was going to cut interest rates four to six times is essentially what got priced into the market. Um, And as that happened? I think I mentioned on the last podcast, you know, be careful what you ask for, because everybody's saying the same thing. And that's typically when something doesn't happen. Um, And if rates were going to have to be cut that much, it means we're having a difficult market where the feds need to cut rates to re-stimulate the economy because the higher rates pushed the economy down too far. Um, So, you know, a lot of rate cuts aren't great for anything other than bonds, if you think about it. If you think about why are rates being cut, it's to stimulate the economy. And now what we're seeing is that that is a little bit unlikely unless things really start to slow down next quarter or the quarter after you know we we are expecting somewhat of a flat earnings growth between you know q three or q four of twenty twenty two to to the numbers that are coming out in the end of twenty twenty three that's that's what's going on right now the in this earnings season you're getting the reports of what happened in the last quarter of twenty twenty three um, now. There's a Bloomberg article today out that was talking all about emerging market assets dropping on doubts about the Fed rate cut path because lower rates mean that the U.S. dollar for the rest of the world isn't as attractive. Because typically when we have high rates in the U.S., other people and and other governments around the world say, oh, wow, we want to take advantage of those high U.S. bond rates, those high U.S. treasury rates. So they actually have to push their money into the U.S. dollar, which pushes the dollar up against other currencies in order to be able to buy those bonds. And so when rates are higher and more money stays in the U.S., it's not as good for emerging markets. So emerging markets had pulled back during this first part of the year, down about, mm, I think, around 4% last I looked. But Federal Reserve Governor uh, Christopher Waller stoked concerns about how many rate cuts we're actually going to have Um, And that sent U.S. Treasury yields higher. Um, Also, we've had some mixed signals here. So last week we had an unexpected month over month drop in December U.S. producer prices. So that's good for inflation. If producer prices come down, eventually what we pay comes down along with it. However, December's U.S. consumer prices rose more than expected. A lot of mixed signals going on here. Um, and today, December retail sales coming out showed U.S. consumer spending continue to prove resilient to round out 2023. Um, and retail sales grew by 0.6% in December. And economists had expected 0.4% increase. So interesting, right? So people spent more during the holiday season than economists expected. Um, and even November retail sales um uh, that had posted already a 0.3% increase. Another surprise there. December sales excluding auto and gas increased by 0.6%. Right, The estimate was 0.3%. So, a little better than expected. Um, now, the, the thing that we have to look at, and like I mentioned, the MSCI's uh, Emerging Market Index so far down about 4.4% in the first few weeks of this year. China, now there's talks about launching some stimulus for their economy. Remember, it's not a good thing over there when growth falls below 6%. They have a lot of debt issues to deal with as they were trying to build out their country, uh, you know, move people from farms into cities, and just have it a rough go, especially with higher rates in the U.S. And, um, and today, there's stories of uh, potential launching stimulus in China and even state buying of China ETFs and other uh, stocks. You also have what's what's also a little tough on emerging markets right now, uh, continuing to di- digest the idea that the Fed's not ready to cut interest rates in March. Uh, the Mexican peso, worst-performing currency yesterday, is on 2%. Why? Well, Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, it looks like here. So not not too friendly against the Mexican peso. Um, rates have ticked up, though. So we had at the end of the year with the idea of the Fed's cutting rates, it makes the current bonds that you own more attractive. So bond prices went up and rates went down. Well, 10-year Treasury is back to 3.96%. Remember, not too long ago, it touched almost 5%. Yield curve is still inverted, meaning the shorter term two-year Treasury is at 4.14%. So you still get paid more over the next two years by lending to the government than if you lend over 10 years. Now, with the two-year, you have reinvestment risk, right? What's the rates going to be at the end of the two years when you got to reinvest again? Who knows? Could be much lower if the economy struggles. But right now, that's the rates. Um, What's interesting, a couple of uh, people and research firms like Bob Dole or Ned Davis Research giving a positive outlook for 2024. Uh, Over Ned Davis Research, Jim Hayes, the uh, chief global investment strategist of the firm. uh, It's really just the idea that there was broad participation in the stock market. So most of 2023, the returns were coming from about seven mega cap stocks, right? Seven of the largest companies in the United States, mostly tech because they've become the largest companies in the United States because that's where most of the revenue has grown. Uh, So... What we're seeing now is that, um, 92% of the 47 markets within the all countrywide ACWI index are performing above their 50 day moving averages. And that's something that Ned Davis research noted that that hasn't happened since early 2021. And furthermore, an impressive 89% of these markets are an upward trajectory, the highest since March of 2021. Kind of interesting stuff going on there. So. It is to be seen on, okay, we've still got the inverted rate curve. We still have never really had a recession that everybody called for since the beginning of 2022. It was more of a rolling recession in different industries, especially tech. I mean, if you think about it, there was so many tech layoffs and a lot of people that were making a lot of money were able to find jobs, but for a lot less money. That's kind of what happened. A lot of tech companies drastically overhired. They were overpaying. They were hiring people just so other tech companies couldn't have them. And then they all had to cut costs. And a lot of it has to do with higher interest rates, right? Now, higher interest rates, real estate's been pretty resilient other than office REITs in downtown areas like Portland, San Francisco, and other places. Real estate in general, if you take out office, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, I think occupancy rates are at like 40-year highs, And the overall real estate market in terms of housing held up pretty well. What hasn't held up is the number of real estate agents. So I was reading a a real estate agent that I know. I didn't verify these numbers at all, but I thought it was quite interesting. In Oregon, 12 months ago, there were 14,000 licensed agents. Six months ago, it dropped to 11,661. And three months ago, it's dropped to 8,395. That's a 40% drop in nine months of the number of real estate agents in Oregon. We saw a drop of about 44% in the number of real estate agents in the state of Washington. At one point, I had heard in the state of Washington that there were more agents than homes for sale because a lot of people had gotten recruited into that market because it was so hot. And now it's obviously finding out that there's tough times in in that market, and people have to be resilient if they're going to stay in the business. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month.
0: With no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the Suitcases Always Packed Pass, or the Wait I Get to Choose from 100,000 Trips Pass, the Will It Be the Beach, City, Mountains, or All Three Pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no
1: nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at InspiratoPass.com. I am your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, Shoot me an email, I just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Um, you can sign up for the next event Rob Black and I are doing in the Bay Area on retirement income planning. So that's chadburton.com. All right, a little bit more about the markets. Let's talk about, I haven't talked about crypto for a while. In the last year, Bitcoin is up about 128%. Um, and I think people just got a little bit sick of just hearing about the volatility in it. But Ethereum up almost 83% during that period of time. Um, you know, big year and push, obviously, too, with the idea that at the end of the year, we're getting closer and closer to that spot Bitcoin ETF option. So far, the only options that we're trading were like the Grayscale ETF, which was really investing in futures for uh, Bitcoin. And they could trade at a big premium or discount, so quite volatile and pretty high fees. And now you've got Bitwise, Fidelity, and Van Eck all with uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs. Which means the ability to get into the cryptocurrency without having to go open, say, a Coinbase account and move currency over there and buy. It. You can, you know, buy the ETF. And what was interesting is this all played out is that the SEC revealed that it lost control of its X account. You know, X is formerly known as Twitter. Um, and that was on January 9th. It allowed a hacker to announce the agency's approval of 11 Bitcoin ETFs. 24 hours before the agency was prepared to make the announcement so not a good kind of timing when when the idea of cryptocurrency is tied towards things like people get hacked if you want your data back and control your servers back you have to pay us in cryptocurrency not a good start there now look well i own a little bit of both uh bitcoin and ethereum um there's not going to be many managers that are rushing. I mean, though you will see additions to it, a lot of different financial advisors that I know aren't going to rush to add it to portfolios because it is considered a store of value, right? It's not a company. It's not a company where you can say, okay, is the revenue growing? Are the costs under control? Here's the profitability. There's not metrics that you can put on it. It's an agreed to store of value. It's very impressive technology in terms of the ledger and tracking ownership. Um, Ethereum is quite popular. There's dif- different ways that you can issue bonds and other financial and insurance products based on the technology, but it isn't agreed to store a value. And the hopes for better global transactions in the future where things happen quicker with much, with much lower fees without having to use it into single currencies um it's got a long ways to go before that is the case uh you know we do whole shows on it one of the things that i want to point out is there's still so many online scams when it comes to crypto trading and these so-called crypto gurus that you see especially on instagram and finra the financial industry regulation authority says it's seen a significant spike in investor complaints in general about bad actors posing as registered investment advisors who have, you know, cost investors millions of, of dollars in losses. So the complaints that they're receiving are people that pose as investment advisors on Instagram or stock investment groups on Instagram or Facebook and Snapchat. And when an investor responds, the scam artist tries to get people to go into encrypted group chats on WhatsApp where they start pitching investments. <laughs> and then eventually they get pushed into hey let's let's go into um uh, a hong kong listed exchange because these stocks are really rallying you got to get in on this and then people get sucked into opening an account elsewhere and it's a fake account and they show fake returns and all of a sudden they lose access and the money's gone it happens quite a bit now if the way that you know that you are protected if you're working as a registered investment advisor. So, firms like our firm, EP Wealth, registered investment advisor, right? But you want to make sure you're working with a certified financial planner practitioner and somebody that is a fiduciary. In other words, they put in writing that your interest comes before theirs. And legit registered investment advisors, they don't hold the money for their clients. So, for example when we manage people's accounts their accounts are held at either fidelity or schwab it's their own personal accounts We're just signed on through a limited power of authorization to be able to trade the account on their behalf so legitimate advisors if they're going to do work for you they're typically your account statements and your accounts are still going to be held at fidelity schwab pershing and a couple of other ones if you know, the, one of the ways that Bernie Madoff was able to get away with so much fraud is because he was acting as his own broker dealer, too. Right. Where were they were printing off their own statements. So that kind of the, the reason why you want to have a Fidelity or Schwab in place, they're the bookkeeper, they're the proof of ownership. They have the SIPC insurance, they have the other things like that. So you never want to write the check to the money manager directly. It's always to the Fidelity, the Schwab, the custodian. That's how you know that you are on the right path. So be careful of those online scams and and you know, talk to your older family members about the email phishing attempts and now a massive increase it seems of cell phone fraud. And in the past this stuff was pretty easy to spot where you'd see very well-known well not well known but very easy to see spelling and grammar errors and now phishing attempts are getting more and more uh, harder to spot especially for older people that don't spend as much time on email where they it looks like an email is coming from somebody that they don't know or somebody that they do know and it is it's it's a fake it's a spoof so be very careful and you know maybe next time you sit down with your parents talk to them about how they're using email, what they're seeing on their cell phone, and take a look. Another one is IRS, Social Security, they're never going to call you. So don't fall for those phone calls about, hey, you owe back taxes and things like that. If you have a money question for the show, you can shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. Also wanted to talk about a couple of other things. So right now, We have some mixed signals on inflation, right? We have, like I mentioned earlier in the show, we have producer price indexes falling, but um, uh, consumer prices up a tad bit. And then numbers showing that, you know, just came out today that December was actually pretty strong when it came to people going Christmas shopping or not. They beat expectations, and so there's a lot of sticky inflation. And when you talk to anybody that is you know, living to paycheck to paycheck, uh, food and, and kids at home, and they hear these numbers of inflation, yet where they see it the most is at the grocery store and the food pump. They're like, okay, inflation seems like it's running a lot higher than this. So what's the proper inflation rates to use in a financial plan? I've had that question posed quite a bit in the last year because we essentially went through it seems like a couple of decades where inflation was really running around two two and a half percent where historically it's been higher than that and so then we went through this year post-covid post too much money being pumped into the system by the government causing kind of their own problem and inflation numbers went to eight nine ten percent so what's the right number to use in a financial plan we'll talk about that when we get back because there's Expo, inflation that you use on your normal living expenses that will be there forever. There's random expenses that hit you throughout your lifetime. There's other inflation costs like how how should we look at healthcare and how do we look at an education cost if you're trying to plan for your kids' college? What are the right numbers to use? Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website chadburton.com has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close, and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. Distribution planning and, and your financial plan, a lot of it, you know, garbage in, garbage out you have to use proper numbers and growth rates of portfolio and different asset classes. And you have to assume a certain amount of inflation on your expenses so that you can say, Hey, I'm 50 years old now. This is what I'm going to spend when I'm 65. These are my account values. Now this is the growth rate that I'm going to use till I'm 65. And this is how much I'm putting in it every year. A lot of, a lot of those numbers, you know, go in and like this year, Uh, The amount that you can put in a 401k increases by quite a bit. And you got to make the changes to your financial plan. A really important number, though, to use is the proper inflation rate. And this has been a confusing number because it's been so low for several decades. And then all of a sudden we had a year or two of really high inflation. And so people are wondering, should I increase the inflation that I use in retirement? Well. Most of the time when people end up doing a really detailed financial plan is in their fifties and beyond, right where you you finally get your kids through college, that expense is over. you finally have some you know maybe you're an empty nester and you finally got some extra income that you're trying to catch up and save for retirement. You're saying, "Okay, what is the proper age for me?" and you start really running projections and getting some help in order to do that now. A couple of things, growth rates that we've talked about before, it's a good idea to use 6% or less on the growth rate of your investments. Now, as you've heard me say over and over and over again, the stock market has averaged over 11%. Even if we look at the last 50 years, which included the Great Recession, it's averaged over 11% total return. That means you're reinvesting your dividends. And... That's, that's the S and P 500. Now it's positive 70 to 74% of the time and negative the rest of the time. But the reason why we don't use that rate of return 10, 11% is because as you age and you become more conservative and you have to add bonds and cash and other asset classes into the portfolio rather than just stocks, your volatility is going to come down, but your return is also going to come down a, a bit. Now, That sounds like a bad thing, but it's it's very important math, and we could get into that when you're drawing money out of your portfolio to keep up with the market in good years and try to outperform the bad. You do that by asset allocation and the proper withdrawal strategy. All right? Now, the proper inflation to use in a financial plan, I think most expenses you can still run at 2.5%. Now, that sounds pretty low, especially when inflation typically runs a little bit higher than that. But in retirement if you're using that rate in retirement, from the date of retirement going forward, you have more control over your expenses in retirement because you're, first of all, you're you're not working, so there's not certain things that you have to do. You don't have to drive to work every day, things like that. You don't spend as much on clothes. As you age, you don't spend as much on eating out or food in general, for example. So there's that term, and I can't remember, Bill Bachrad or somebody like that came out with a smiley face investing pattern in retirement where when you first retire, you're actually spending more, right? You're doing the bucket list travel. You, you could be getting the RV and traveling across the country or doing an African safari that you always wanted to do. Um, you could be doing the bucket list on the house, right? The honey-do list, the stuff that you've been putting off to remodel the house, um, you know, do a, do fence in the backyard, remodel, whatever. Um, and then things you send tend to calm down and settle in. And then as you age, you kind of eat less and, and, and shop less for clothes in many cases. Then the expenses that we can't really control later in life are those healthcare expenses. So expenses go high, then they drop a little bit and then they go high again later in life when you're dealing with healthcare costs. So two and a half percent on normal living expenses that are there each and every year they're they're okay. You have to update those so often though. You have to go through your expenses and reset those expectations. For example, like vacation costs, huge amount of inflation. I mean, and vacation costs have gone way up. So that's oftentimes when people say, yeah, I want to travel a lot more in retirement. And I'm looking at a $10,000 travel budget. Yeah. That's one trip these days for two people. <laughs> so between flights and costs, Um, you know, places like Cabo aren't cheap anymore. So you you might want to look, take a fresh look at your vacation costs, your healthcare costs and education costs. You want to make sure those inflate at at least 5%. So when you're looking at, okay, Medicare premiums, um, typically 170 bucks a month or so, 174 for Medicare part B, then you have your supplemental insurance and everything else, usually around 690 to 700 bucks a person from age 65 on, even on Medicare, that cost, you need to inflate at at least 5%. For a while, we were using six, but it's come down a little bit. Education costs um, have also come down. We were using six for many years on that. But health education costs, that means if you have kids that you still need to put through school or grandkids that you're going to help save for, those projections should be at a 5% inflation cost. And don't get me started on that, because it's like, you know, I think the whole education system is... You know, having three kids in college right now and seeing some of the classes that they have to take in order to graduate that they pretty much completed in junior high. It's a little bit silly on what we pay for, <laughs> but a lot of it is social connections. I think these days in college. Um, there's certain things that you need to, to really think about as you go into retirement, because the last thing you want to do is whittle your budget down to make your retirement numbers work. And then you just end up not sticking to that budget in retirement, what you do the first five to 10 years in retirement controls everything. If you overspend in the first 10 years of retirement, it can really damage your financial plan, especially if the market underperforms the first five or 10 years of retirement. Those two things together can really be very, very bad on retirement plans. So this is one of the reasons why you have to do a linear cash flow model with really conservative rates of return on your investments, sub 6%. Even though we expect higher than that in the long run, sub 6% on your linear cash flow with 2.5% inflation on normal costs, 5% on healthcare and education costs. Yeah, that's a linear cash flow model. And that gives you an idea on a conservative basis, am I going to have enough money to last till age 100? That plan will be 100% wrong. 100% 100% wrong because nothing is linear unless you're always investing in CDs. And even then, CD rates ebb and flow, right? They're almost zero for many years and now they're at 5%. But the market is volatile. You have years like last year when the S P 500 is up double digits and then some years like the year before where it was down double digits. So on top of the linear cash flow model, you also have to use systems that can take a look at the underlying asset allocation or model what your asset allocation should be and then run what's called Monte Carlo simulations, which throws at over a thousand different return scenarios in terms of randomizing, looking at the underlying asset classes that you own in your investments, in your financial plan, the historical rates of return, the volatility, how they've acted in in good economies, bad economies, high inflation, low inflation, randomizing the results to say, what is your potential success rate based on market history and and volatility? You got to make sure that that number is 85% and above, that your asset allocation is correct, that your linear cash flow model is correct and your investments are correct. You have the proper amount of safe money and a properly allocated balanced portfolio as you go into retirement. That all has to go into your projections. But don't forget about, like I said, the spending on healthcare costs. A lot of people say, oh, once I'm on Medicare, I'm good. Got a Medicare Part B and Part A, I'm good to go. Nope, you've got supplemental insurance, you've got co-pays, you've got dental costs. um, All of those things that say, hey, in your plan, about 700 bucks a month per person in retirement. Now, if you make a lot of money, you also end up paying more for Medicare Part B. So. You can get into what's called IRMA, uh, which is essentially when your income goes, up. Uh, married filing jointly above about 190 some thousand. That's when you start paying more than your neighbor for your Medicare Part B. Um, so so keep that in mind. But you, you have to have enough money to enjoy retirement and to get through tough markets and always be assuming the best, right? The market's gonna take care of you. It's gonna be positive over 70% of the time. In those years, you should always be saying, okay, how much cash did I spend? I'm going to peel off some of the growth and replenish that cash and always be ready for the 1999s, the 2007s, the 2022s. So they have enough cash, dividends, and interest to make it through those tough times. But then if you have a lot of money and you want to enjoy retirement, spend some of that money on your health. Spend some of that money on your health so that you can stay healthy, enjoy retirement. Think about as you go into twenty twenty four how are you gonna change your eating habits real quick I mean th- there's a show on Netflix that by the end of it it was definitely very like kind of mm-hmm. vegan leaning in terms of like how it seemed to be funded and and everything else but it's it's a you are what you eat um type of a show and they took twenty two identical twins and they put one twin on a vegan diet and another twin on very healthy omnivore diet. And you could see the changes that make what you eat so important to your longevity, your health and everything else. Um, It was very interesting to watch and it kind of gives you an idea that if you go into a diet like that, if you're healthy, you have one results, but those that were unhealthy going into the diet and they needed to focus things on cholesterol and visceral fat that ends up leading to diabetes and all these other issues... Um, I, I'm not going to do too much of a spoiler, but there was very significant changes that the right answer in the long term is probably a mix of both, right? Not just vegan, unless unless you lean that way animal-wise, but but um, you know a healthy diet and how much difference it made on these people. So if you have money to enjoy retirement, food, gut health, get a nutritionist, do that home gym. You can go as far as things like I do, like saltwater, hot tub, infrared sauna, and cold plunge right in the house that I do almost every day. Lift weights to keep your bones and your muscles strong. You're talking about spending on your health, especially even pre-retirement so that you can go into retirement with some passions, with some habits. Um, everybody's talking about it in 2024, doing dry January myself. And it's it's something that you try to reset every year, right? A big one right now is people doing the 72-hour water fast, which I'll probably do this year. Although I will say that when anytime I get into any kind of a food deprivation mode, I get flashbacks of cutting weight and wrestling in high school and college, so it, it kind of freaks me out a little bit. Sometimes I like to say I exercise a lot so I can eat what I want. But I have noticed that as I've aged, yeah, and this is the first year I'll be able to do a catch-up contribution in my 401k, I'm gonna hit 50 this year, It's it's odd to say. But I've had to change diet, right? I've had to change workouts several times throughout my life. And I've since about seventh grade, when I realized that after school, I was eating too much candy and I ended up with a a gut. Somebody pointed it out and I started running every day and then got into wrestling. I've been into fitness. Uh, It's been a big part of my life and family's life. And I think a lot of that push is also seeing people in retirement early on. I've been in the business since I was 19 years old, working with my grandfather who sold annuities at the bank back when annuities were a really good thing. And I'm going to talk actually about annuities. And now they've gotten to be a, a pretty bad thing um, compared to other options. But back then, annuities were really good because capital gains rates were at 27% and it was a good way to defer taxes. You could only put 2000 into an IRA, 10000 in a 401k. So they were pretty good savings vehicles. So I went to a lot of these meetings with people in their 70s and 80s early in my career and I noted the ones that seemed to be the happiest were the ones that were the busiest that would get up in the morning. First thing they would do is like read, work out, crossword puzzle, something either cognitive or physical or both right in the first part of their day. Then they'd have volunteer and lots of social connections through groups. The ones that seemed to be more focused on, I don't know what to do. I'm not going to really travel. I'm going to watch a lot of TV and the health goes. And then all of a sudden, most of their time is spent shuffling back and forth between doctors. And then as I've aged, I've realized that you know doctors and Western medicine, they tend to just give you a pill for everything rather than pointing out to a person, you are overweight, you're getting diabetes because you drink soda every day or you drink coffee with a ton of sugar in it every day and you're going to age yourself. You're going to put yourself into a state of insulin resistance on how you're eating and eventually develop diabetes and other issues. So if you have enough money to retire, especially in the Bay Area, spend some of that money, even if it means delaying your retirement, spend some of that money on your healthcare so you can enjoy it. If you aren't sure what to eat and you have maybe taken some food tests and you're, you're still not really sure, you need to concentrate on your food. And all of this information and these studies that are coming out on your gut health, your microbiome, and how that affects everything from Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and everything else. Very important to get your diet right and to move every day. 10,000 steps in. That's just two things that you can simply do. Come back on bread and sugar, eat healthier, and move every day, and you'll start to notice differences. Uh, But maybe that's, maybe you don't like to go to the gym, so spend money on a home gym. There's so many easy ways to do that now. Um, you can go into the, you know, get slightly into the world of biolacking like I do. And okay, I want to be able to hella ski every year. I want to be able to wake surf all summer long. I need healthy hips, joints. I got to deal with inflation or inflammation rather as I get older. So I spend money on a saltwater hot tub. I have an infrared sauna and I've got a cold plunge that I try to do all of those things every day. Lifting weights. I lift weights way more than I do cardio. And when you do cardio, it's more high-intensive training. But as you age, lifting weights is almost more important than anything else. Chronic cardio causes cortisol increases and can't and isn't great for the heart. Whereas lifting weights keeps your structure strong, keeps your bones strong. So that's the difference between I'm seventy years old. I I I fell down and broke a hip, and I go into a nursing home. Versus I'm seventy and I fell down and I kind of was sore for a few days, and I'm often in playing pickleball again. If you have no idea what you're doing when it comes to the the weight room or the gym, get a personal trainer. Get varying workouts. Um, There's some good AI equipment out there. I'm I'm a real big fan of Tonal. If you've ever tried that, that's a, um, you know, you buy it, you can put it on your wall. It kind of comes with the personal training and and AI-assisted workouts that helps determine how much you should be pushing or pulling on your various exercises. Very, very good system. So really, spend some time focusing on your health, and like I've said in the past, people that are driving down the road right now, listening on radio with a a car they can't really afford and a five dollar coffee that's full of sugar in their um you know console right now that you're not on the right path, right? You've got to figure out where your money's going and invest it properly, but you also got to figure out what's going on in your body so you can enjoy the money that you saved. All right. Now, one final thing I wanted to talk about real quick is is on annuities, because there's a story that's hitting today about the client accusing Ameriprise of selling them almost $800,000 in unsuitable annuities since 2009 to 2012. There's been a lot of press on them. and And look, most annuities are bad. There are some good no-load options and no-commission-based option fixed annuities in certain circumstances. But most annuities that offer here you can invest in the market but here's a lifetime income guarantee most of them because they pay like six seven percent commission to advisors that are really commission-based insurance salesmen the fees the internal fees are so high it offsets any lifetime guaranteed income that you're going to get especially when you look at what you can get out of a laddered bond portfolio right now so if you have annuities and you need a second opinion on it, you can shoot me an email, just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. And especially if you're in your 40s and you're investing in annuities for growth, not a good idea, not a good idea. And then there's the indexed annuities that here's a percentage of the upside with no downside risk. And there are some decent no commission versions of that, I will say out there, very few of them. Most people don't realize that, when you're looking at those types of index products, whether it's life insurance and annuities, you do not participate in the dividends. That's 2% reinvested every single year on the S P 500 that you're missing out of. So be very careful of annuities. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com. Links to the podcast, social media, ways to schedule an appointment with me or one of my advisors. Just go to chadburton.com. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend about the show.